So this bolt of lightning shot across the universe and inspired me with the idea that we have to do a podcast. And that's what I wanted to tell you. We should do a podcast. Okay, bye. Welcome to Feature Creep, colon. Built in microwave, semicolon. Uh, gosh, what are we, cult, cult mania? The, the Cheesecake, cheesecake Factory bankrolls a cult. The Cheesecake Factory bankrolls a cult. <laughs> Which nice. is a true statement, not yes. just a title. Right. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so. well, where do we begin with this? So, um, well, first, let's just get the rod out of the way. Yes. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Ned. I'm Meg. And uh, this is Feature Creep colon built-in microwave, as we just say, stated. And you can listen to lots of episodes we've published over the years. Yes. And we're publishing them lots of the time. Yes. Because time, we don't really stay affixed to the arrow of time on right. this podcast. We're all over the place. Yeah. I think generally we try to do every Monday a new podcast. And we are right. definitely rapidly filling out the back catalog that we missed recently. Um, and hope to be returning back to that schedule. Mm -hmm. uh, if you have thoughts or comments, or you just generally want to express your outrage about the lack of publications <laughs> in the last month or two, um, you can email Dana, because not us, email Dana. <laughs> yes. She's the CEO and founder of Feature Creep, uh, colon, built-in microwave. Right. Full title. Um, <laughs> yeah, she... Uh, no, right. she's great, and she will... Um, she will definitely get your comments to us or you can just email us directly if you go to our website, fcbm.io. We have our emails on there as well and email is probably the best way. I think technically we have a Twitter account and some other social media stuff, but um, who uses that shit? No, yeah. no one. So just send us an email and be like, hey, I'm really outraged about this thing, but I'm super glad you're back on the air or uh, I was glad you guys were finally <laughs> fucking done because we couldn't take it anymore. Right. Uh, or somewhere <laughs> in between. Um I I'm totally voluntarily subjecting myself to your podcast, but I have had enough. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, I think that's all I have to say about that. So uh awesome. Let's get into how the Cheesecake Factory has bankrolled a cult. Yeah. So um, yeah. Uh I found out about this by accident. Oops. Oops, look what happened. <laughs> oh no, you found out about a cult. Sorry. I know, I found out about a cult. Um so there's this restaurant called the Cheesecake Factory in America. Yes. And it's a really weird experience if you go there to eat because they have a million different decorating styles <clears throat> mm -hmm. and you get the impression that they're like mimicking classical, not classical maybe with a capital C in terms of architecture terms, but like old style architecture that's representative of different cultures and like recognizable to the eye. And they just kind of like <laughs> visual diarrhea that into a melange of like anachronistic styles and like things that you would never see mixed geographically. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and it's like, everything's really overly fancy on the inside of the cheesecake factory. Um, 
but also like super cheap at the same time because like it, everything is just like cheap materials mimicking the nice materials that have withstood the test of time and architecture out in the world that makes right. these like, things classic to begin with. Like marble uh, contact paper yes. surfaces as yes. opposed to marble surfaces. Right. Yeah. So everything is like air sats. Yeah. You know, like this fake knockoff version of something nice. I find it kind of weirdly charming when you're there. Like it's, I think, <laughs> I don't know if charming is the right word. Like it's very, um, when you say like lots of styles, what you mean is like all of the styles together. All of not the styles like at once. Everything all of the time. Any given restaurant. Yeah. Everything all of the time. Like it's just, you know, you've got your, your sort of Greek and Roman c- columns together and your sort of frescoes and your, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, <clears throat> um, it's a whole, it's a whole architecture and in, well, it's a whole interior design yeah. uh, spectacle. It's so eater, eater.com mm-hmm. <laughs> refers to the Cheesecake Factory um, <clears throat> in all of its gold hued dark wood opulence. Yes. With its romance novel length menu. Uh huh. An ancient Egyptian meets Vegas strip vibe. Yeah. Um, it's. Not the American dream, but it's an American dream. Yes. Um, it's America's number one ranked casual dining chain. Really? I could see that. Th- there's one in every mall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it also identifies the Cheesecake Factory as a cult favorite among NBA players. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Cheesecake Factory is founded by a guy named David Overton. Yes. Right. And when he made the Cheesecake Factory, he said he wanted to appeal to the palate of the common man. This is still all from Mm -hmm. Um, eater.com. This Mr. Overton, uh, David Overton, hired a guy named Rick McCormick, Mm -hmm. who was a restaurant and hospitality designer, to design the sixth Cheesecake Factory location. um, And it Apparently that one was like sort of the the apex of like mm. the the zaniness with the design. Right. Um he, when the Cheesecake Factory went public in 1992, the same guy McCormick joined the company and started an in-house design department. And he basically is responsible for the sort of like geopolitical like puke fest that is the <laughs> interior of the yes these desi- yeah these the what has now become its own recognizable style unique to the cheesecake factory right right <clears throat> um so no matter whether you're at the one here in san diego mm-hmm. or in kansas city eater says you will still recognize it as that which is the cheesecake factory right right um there are French limestone floors, Egyptian columns, Victorian beadboard wood paneling, mm-hmm. quote unquote, a really eclectic mix, uh-huh. which most people wouldn't be brave enough to try. But fortunately, the way that they are assembled here, it works really well, they say. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that's definitely debatable. But I would say that it's at this point, it's so iconically Cheesecake Factory yeah. that it's sort of like, well, you see it and you're like, oh, there's a Cheesecake Factory. Yeah. Like you see those weird like minarets or whatever on the outside of the mall. Yes. And yeah. from like across the sea of cars in a parking lot in a suburban mall, you're like, that's the Cheesecake Factory over there. Right. Like not right. a mosque or like some yeah. <laughs> like yeah. religious building or a, a 
fortress from the 1400s. Right. No, it's the Cheesecake Factory. Um, When David first introduced the stylized columns that are uh, notorious at the Cheesecake Factory, he was inspired by a photo of a bathhouse in London. (laughs) Um, So they they really like the egyptian style david the founder of this bizarre restaurant chain yeah. david really liked the egyptian style and so this designer mccormick came up with the design of a column that had those elements that would take it closer to the egyptian style he liked mm-hmm. and then they put those into 120 restaurants uh-huh so it's like i like that they're like we like we like the thing but just like not the real thing though like a thing right. that's like the thing but not actually the thing right just dial back a little just bit dial it back a little bit yeah um which is also kind of how the cult that they finance roles as well yes yeah a lot of similarities there should we talk about the cult yes yeah so this crazy design uh miasma yes um was kind of i think if i'm remembering correctly like what attracted me to like the story of the cheesecake factory like how the fuck do all of these bad design choices get made? Like who's paying for all of this? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like how, how is the cheesecake factory so popular that they can afford to make these big box stores, make these enormous menus? Like how do they do this? How is this possible? And as I dug into the, like the superficial, like level one concerns that I had about the design elements of the cheesecake factory, I found out that there's also like a cult behind it. And I will tell you about that now. Yes. So in somewhere in Northern California, Walnut Grove, Northern California, somewhere on the East Bay side of the San Francisco Bay situation on the Mm -hmm. Oakland side, um, there's this uh, town. It's like, I don't even think it's incorporated. Sarnap. Saranap. Saranap. Yeah. And um I think it's Saranap, right? Uh let's see. Saranap, let me see. It's it reminds me of Saran Wrap every time I see it written. Yeah, Saranap. S A R A N A P. An unincorporated, loosely governed town in uh Contra Costa County in Northern California. Okay, there we go. Yep. So yeah, so this like place, um, there's a bunch of people in town, these like white people who came up with this religion mm-hmm. that they made, they invented it. Right. right. Like it wasn't, and they, they call it Sufism reoriented, but it has nothing to do with Sufis or Sufism as a like religion, mm-hmm. an established religion that's been around for a long time. <clears throat> these people just like dress in pastels and they just stole Sufism mm-hmm. because it sounded cool or something, but they want people to know that like, they're like not related to or connected to the original Sufis. It's just, they, they coincidentally have exactly the same name, but it means something totally different and they're not connected whatsoever. Right. Right. Um, there's this school like, uh, like, in this town that these people send all of their kids to. And the school was like 
a place where lots of people in this little unincorporated town sent their kids to. Like there wasn't a, it wasn't like seen as like a specifically religious school. Mm-hmm. It was just like a place where people ran like a daycare slash young children's school, whatever. Um, so <laughs> people in town and these like Sufism reoriented people like got along and intermingled and like there wasn't like a huge standoff or anything. Like it wasn't totally um uh acrimonious at first Mm -hmm. but like this little cult of people uh, with this weird like religion they just made up out of nowhere they like get bankrolled by one of the people who's a member of this cult who like is in walnut grove or whatever is the guy who founded the cheesecake factory Okay, And so all of this like largesse that comes to him through the success of the Cheesecake Factory mm-hmm. and it's, it's industrial design. We were just talking about industrial design in the podcast we recorded moments ago. Yeah. He turned like this restaurant into this like, like shining example of industrial design. Mm-hmm. And because he's industrialized the process of making these restaurants a thing, like he has these huge profit margins. And what he does with that profit is he drives it, he plows it into this cult in Northern California. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. So this Sufism reoriented that like <clears throat> is kind of like a cult that doesn't do much except like operate a s- small school in this mm-hmm. small little town in the middle of nowhere, California. Like they uh, all of a sudden have all of this money and they decide to build this temple. Right. And this is where shit gets wild. So yeah. um, the Diablo Gazette is a local newspaper <clears throat> near Walnut Creek. And it has a story about the temple amid the booming and chaotic development of Contra Costa County an unexpectedly tranquil and nurturing new sanctuary has been quietly completed in Walnut Creek in the Saranap neighborhood. This astonishing $20 million temple, <coughs> which was yes. dropped into a residential neighborhood in yes. an unincorporated section of California, right. um, is a new home of Sufism reoriented, an American spiritual order mm-hmm. with roots in the ancient spiritual t- tradition known as Sufism but which has been reshaped for a life of service in the modern world, which basically means we culturally appropriated the name of your religion. Yes. And then we totally didn't do it any justice beyond that. Right. Um, Very quietly, Sufism reoriented has become the wellspring of an enormous outpouring of community aid to people in need in Contra Costa County. Um, Sufism reoriented is not a religion, says Dr. Carol Wayland Connor, the mm-hmm. spiritual leader. But a p- spiritual path of the heart and love is its essence. It is based on principles of universal love and selfless service, active love for God and active service to God's world. Um, Sufism Reoriented was created in 1952 to help this, I'm quoting here, to help Westerners who aspire to live the highest principles of divine love as the central focus of their lives. Okay, then. The order is a school of inner development and a community of shared outer life and work. So basically, like, you know, we can, like, claim it's everything without saying anything about what it actually is. Right. Um, They operate something called um, the 
White Pony Express Food Rescue Program, huh. which res- has to, to date has rescued over 7 million pounds of fresh, high-quality food from supermarkets. Yeah. And then it delivers <clears throat> three tons of fresh food to nonprofit groups feeding the country's, the county's hungry people. Right. The Free General Store distributed over 500,000 items of newer, like new clothing, shoes, toys, children's books. So they're doing stuff. Like they're sort of this like vector yeah. for like passing goods and foods and like being a sort of like conduit for these things. Mm -hmm. Um, The Francis in the schools program serves children growing up in underprivileged inner city neighborhoods who are often surrounded by poverty, crime and neglect serves them. How like what? How do you even know these people to serve them? Mm -hmm. Um, For 40 years, Sufism reoriented was quietly located in a former restaurant building Mm -hmm on Boulevard Way in Walnut Creek. When it became clear that a larger center was needed to accommodate the group's expanding work, Rashida Connor reached out to the firm of Philip Johnson Allen Ritchie, one of the world's leading architectural firms. Mm -hmm. And they designed this building that they plunked down in this tiny little town in California. Uh, It is not by chance that our center is located here in California. In many ways, the wealthiest region on earth singularly blessed with bountiful material resources and boundless energy and creativity. It was largely financed by Cheesecake Factory owner David Overton, according to online magazine sfcurbed.com. So what they were aiming to do... So I was looking at this. um, They have photographs of the inside of this sanctuary. It is this massive building that they built to withstand all kinds of like... um, Concerns that you would have in Northern California, raging wildfires, right, destructive right. earthquakes, mm-hmm. possible tsunamis, like you name it, right? Um, this thing is built to last like beyond h- human scale of lifetimes. Right. Like right. it's just like going to be here for fucking ever. Right. Right. Um, the inside, it kind of like, so nothing about the imagery inside of the design of this place says anything about Sufis or Sufism to me because mm-hmm. it looks a lot like a waiting room in a white suburban Christian version of heaven. Right. Like there's this <clears throat> in this one particular picture, it shows the great room where they sort of like hold public things. It's mm-hmm. just an inward facing circle, which you and I joke about all the time. Yes, like yes. inward facing circles are the most hilarious thing ever. Right. Because they're the literal manifestation of people who can't like adequately be self reflective. Right. <laughs> anyway, um, so there's all of these Louis XIV chairs, which we were also just talking about, the ghost chairs. Yes. Tons of ghost chairs arranged in an inward-facing circle uh-huh. in a room that's all white with this gigantic-ass white dome and, like, gold, uh-huh. like, gold accents. And I guess that's a prayer hall or something like that, maybe, or the new sanctuary. Like, it's two or three acres large, yeah. and most of it's underground. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause that's how it's going to last forever. Right. Um, and they like have this, like this weird collection of spiritual art and historical materials, whatever that means, like mm-hmm. whatever they value as like, we got to save this forever. And right, right. there's like a bunch of skylights. So you don't feel like you're in a cave. Um, there's like, 
this really weird giant gold statue somewhere. I'm I'm not seeing it here in this article, but oh my gosh. So like this place that was built like oh so so many resources went into this bizarre yes building yeah so like a lot of like white marble and just well a lot of white marble it looks like yeah um i mean like really expensive architecture for sure like holy i mean it's pretty amazing like you know i it's not a design aesthetic that particularly appeals to me but some things i i appreciate about it like these rooms are very spacious the ones that i'm looking at and there's like good some good lighting and yeah um yeah, really interesting. But it also belays this kind of culty kind of vibe, right? Like everything feels very like it's you know, very it's there like, to remind <clears throat> you of your purpose in life, like why yeah. you're here, you know. It reminds me the only difference that I see between the imagery that's involved in this like cheesecake factory cult and other cults like the Hill Bop people. Yes. Um oh yeah. Uh, what were they? Um um oh, uh heaven's gate heaven's gate yes like if heaven's gate had money you know they would have aspired to do exactly the same thing right yeah absolutely. like it has all the hallmarks of aspirational culty like mm-hmm. non-denominational like yeah religiony religion right so one of the most interesting stories that i found about this was mm-hmm. written by cory doctorow yes yeah uh by and it was published in boing boing at boing boing.net <clears throat> 2017 um, he says, Saranap is an unincorporated, loosely governed town in Contra Costa County, Northern California, home to a 66,000 square foot temple built by a religion called Sufism Reoriented, which has little to do with traditional Sufism being dedicated to the idea that an Indian man called Mayor Baba was the reincarnation of Buddha and Christ and God on earth and that he will return in 700 years. And that's why they built the temple the way they did because so they seven hundred years from now seven hundred years there. from now it needs to right. be there in order for when Mayor Baba returns right so paid for by the Cheesecake Factory yes the zoning uh, for this building was only possible because Ted Kennedy and Orrin Hatch passed the Religious Land Use and Institutionalized Persons Act in 2000, which makes sure that religions can't be prevented from building megachurches. Right. And this is where it gets interesting. Yes. So... It's uh, Corey Doctorow continues. Then there's the opposition, which is motivated by a blend of uninformed Islamophobia, calling your groovy 60 religion after a mystical flavor of Islam might have played well in 1968, but way less so currently. Right. And alarm about the changing nature of the community and some aesthetic and political concerns are like tossed in there to make things interesting. Mm-hmm. So, um, Cory Doctorow kind of likens it to like the houses that you'd see in Star Wars on an, a desert. Yeah, yeah, like where uh, Owen and um, Uncle Owen and uh, God, I can't remember her name now, but um, Aunt Aunt May. That's Spider Man. Yeah. Anyway, Aunt May Spider Man. Same difference. Yes, where right. Luke's Luke's aunt and uncle live. Yeah. on the moisture farm. Yeah, like it's mostly underground with a little bit of a dome pointing out. Yeah, boop. Yeah. Um. So the. Uh, like other people who belong to this religion or whatever yeah. kicked in money, but for the most part, it it came from the Cheesecake Factory. And there's all of these like weird 
uh, like a mishmash in in the same way that there's a mishmash of architectural styles in the Cheesecake Factory restaurants. There's a mishmash of like religious iconography mm-hmm. inside of the temple in Saranap. So there's like winged hearts and uh, like stars of David and the Hindu Om symbol and like they're just kind of like window shopping right all this other stuff that has like deeper meaning to other people um so like they got it bankrolled and that's essentially how they ended up ramming it through i mean like people couldn't stop them right and it's an interesting like there was a lot of opposition in the town yeah and it became like the people were flyering Mm -hmm. outside of the outside of the church i think and like um there was a whole takeover of the um of the unincorporated board i believe like yeah the housing board or yeah something. it says as soon after it was announced this is from the fader.com okay a homeowners group called the saranap community association began to lead a pushback they pointed out that the site of the proposed construction was zoned residential. They argued that the large structure would forever destroy the semi-rural identity of the neighborhood. A website, saveoursaranap.org, became the hub of the conversation. Quickly, the opposition coalesced, hardened, and kvetched. People were up in arms, recalls Ursula Reinhardt, a former member of Sufism Reoriented who left in 1980. Suddenly this thing is supposed to be built in the website. There are these comments and they were all battling back and forth. Where does this money come from? And I, mm-hmm. as an outsider, I just put in, oh, the Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> <laughs> I love she like outs them because uh-huh. <laughs> she doesn't know any better. Um, so yeah, like uh, nearly... Um, a decade before all of this started is when David Overton became or like uh, associated with this religion. Right, right. Um, and so what was going on is like there were um, this, you know, the Ser- the Saranap Community Association uh, was basically being like, nope, we're not going to, we don't want this built here. This yeah, is for- like outside the zoning concept of like having a small town. Right. And then they housing. were like, Ma, this is because you're like, you know, being, um, you're persecuting us for our religion. And they were like, no, no, we, we have all, all kinds of problems with your shit that has nothing to do with religion. Like it doesn't match the surrounding architecture. It doesn't belong in the neighborhood because the scale is wrong. So all these like euphemisms. Yeah. You know? And so then, so then uh, there's an annual board election for the board members mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for the SCA, the uh, Saranap uh, Community Association. And uh, as as this, uh, the fader.com article from 2017 says, uh, quotes, um, this guy Bob said, I came to the meeting and I saw all these cars everywhere uh, where traditionally attendance was very modest at these meetings. Uh, Bob says, and I thought, we're screwed. These are all Sufis. Uh, and so according to then members of the SCA, more than a hundred members of Sufism reoriented were mobilized. Um, and through writing candidates, they voted two Saranap Sufis, mm-hmm. including Dacus, which was this, uh, this like local architect who was, um, 
a member mm-hmm. uh, and two allies into the controlling share of the board of the association, which yes. then, of course, basically paved the road for them to build whatever the fuck they wanted. But I love this um, this quote. The opposition was stunned. Yes. And then, quote, it was like when the Panzers rolled in as part of the blit, uh, as part of their Blitzkrieg, one SCA member told a local blog at the time. God. It's the closest I've ever come to feeling raped like the it's like watching um i can't remember all the rules of the internet but like that thing about how like it will always like devolve into discussions of hitler like yes. given enough time and yes. it just feels very like it's the panzers were nazis yeah like they, no one nazi was, driven yeah tanks. and yeah. like no one was murdered and no one was raped definitely no one was raped understood i understand the violation it might feel like and it might feel like your neighborhood is being just completely overrun I get all of that, but this language in particular yes. feels very like hyperbole, you know? Well, like, yeah. And this Bob person who's like, yeah. yeah, totally hyperbolic. He's yeah. like, I have some really strong opinions, but I won't stand behind them by telling you who I really am. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> He's like, it's the closest I've ever come to feeling raped, violated. I was sick to my stomach. I never experienced that in my life. <laughs> so it's like, well, you're showing an awful lot of your hand right now, sir. Mm-hmm. Like you're basically telling us like, I have never experienced real hardship or anything to be concerned about with any real meaning in my entire life. (sighs) And like most things, it's funny because like all sides have their own take, right? So like the, the SCA, uh, the doc is who now led the SCA, um, has led the SCA since 2012. And this article was written in 2017 attests that the takeover was no such thing. There was nothing nefarious (laughs) about it. We were accused of, uh, busing people in from other parts of the county, uh, which was a complete fabrication. It was just numbers, straight up numbers. I mean, I think it's super funny whenever there's an accusation yes. <clears throat> of people being bussed in because you can tell, like, anytime something is being framed as like the bad thing, you just look back and think, like, who would be afraid of such a mundane thing? Like, people who think buses are scary, first of all. Uh-huh. People were bussed in as yes. if like riding a bus is uh-huh. like indicative of the worst thing they could possibly imagine. Right. Like, right. Uh, like groups of people in close quarters in a bus. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Like how horrible i feel like it's always this kind of um this idea of like hordes of people being you know some others hordes of others hordes of others being sort of aggregated and brought to a place so that they might voice and have action right uh when it's frustrating because like in america we have or in the u.s at least we have some history of like protest and and not always effective towards change but uh, peaceful protest often mm-hmm. and that's where it's like villainizing like i'm not saying this you know that either side in this particular battle was right or wrong it is a little funny that we're kind of yeah discussing that but yeah. i just think about like in the past in history it's like buses are a great way to move a lot of people who don't have access to that kind of transport mm-hmm. not to mention like considerate of where you're going because now you didn't just like infiltrate with all these other fucking cars right and it's like, oh, well, they were thoughtful. They're like, we're coming to have a, our say in this democratic process. Yeah. And here we are. And we all took a bus rather than like the 50 cars. We mm-hmm. came in four buses or mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway. Yeah. Um, having ridden buses to protests because that was I was a college student and that's what we did. But um, yeah. I, I think there's I think there's good value in that. But it is it is a funny way to like 
it's become this uh what's that like not a straw man but it's like an easy target yeah you're like oh well they were being bust in right it's it's, it's just like it, it's become an icon of like where you're supposed to come down on one side or another of an yeah. issue right whether or not you support bussing in right, right. <laughs> <laughs> i like here it says in this fate article i yeah. first emailed with dacus then speak to him over the phone at several points he speaks glowingly of sufism reoriented Without identifying himself as a member. Uh huh. When I asked directly, are you a member of Sufism? He says that he's been a Saranap Sufi since the 1980s. Right. I yeah. suggest that looks like a conflict of interest. Wouldn't his allegiance presumably be with Sufism Reoriented and not the Neutral Homeowners Association? He says that throughout the fight over the sanctuary's approval, he relied on his professionalism as an architect uh-huh. to stay unbiased. Uh-huh. So let me tell you a little secret. Anyone who claims to be unbiased because of some willful application of an appeal to authority or a credential or some other thing is in and of itself unethical mm-hmm. <laughs> and like conflicted. So anyone who says shit like that, you can just like write off right there as unethical. The anti-sanctuary side had lost control of SCA. Rather than wait for next year's elections and try and take it back, they split off and formed a new competing homeowners association. (laughs) Yes, right. Then both sides of the confrontation began canvassing the community and collectively thousands of doors were knocked on. Thousands of petition signatures were collected. Flyers were mailed out. Campaign style signs reading, save our Saranap were pinned to lawns. The side of people who came down against the sanctuary were saying things like, it's too big, it's out of place, it doesn't belong. Um, they And then one local who was not aligned with either side said, if the Sufis were a Christian church coming in asking for an 80-foot cross, no one would dare to say no. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's interesting because like... <laughs> <laughs> the scope the scale of the neighborhood sort of thing like i don't understand where people get the feeling that everything should remain static like they have some claim to a static version of how things are in perpetuity right like right. well your fucking neighborhood was not in line with the natural order of things that was there for thousands of years before you decided to put some like ridiculously toxic chemicals on top of a foundation and live in it mm-hmm like that wasn't in the spirit or the like character of the fucking woodlands or whatever that was right, there before right. you like raised it and turned it into a housing development. So like, what are you talking about? Right. What the fuck? Like that just seems like an invalid argument to me against this like thing. Well, the thing is too big, too big for what your house was too big for the anthill you built it on. Like get over yourself. Right. Um. It, yeah, it is funny. Um, I I think that idea of like opposing change is an interesting problem of humanity where it's like once you're because any change like threatens your way of life potentially. Yeah. Um it's all and it all just boils down to existential threats. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm going to die. Right. So check this out. Okay. In one 2012 meeting, Cheesecake Factory CEO David Overton came to voice support 
He identified himself as a member of Sufism Reoriented's board of directors, and he praised the quality of the sanctuary's architects, which was top of the line. The plans came from the elite New York firm Philip Johnson Allen Ritchie, which had built Central Park West's massive Trump Tower. So that should tell you everything that you (laughs) now need to know Uh in the year 2022 about these people. They're like, who can we aspire to build like? Let's get the people who built Trump Tower. Right, right. He says, David Overton says, the sanctuary has been a dream of ours for many years. All of our members continue to give generously from their savings to make the dream a reality, even though I'm the one bankrolling everything. Mm -hmm. In addition, I have committed to ensuring its debt-free completion because I believe so strongly in the principles of Sufism reoriented. Honesty, financial responsibility, kindness, and service to others. Mm -hmm. I love how those are like the core tenets of this religion. Yes. Yeah. I stand here today to tell you this project is on sound financial footing because my prepackaged desserts say so. <laughs> Overton was attempting to bolster the project's integrity, but to some, the promise of money felt like a battering ram. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Saranap Sufi's religious freedom does not justify special treatment of the wealthy, one local stressed in response. Sufism reoriented seems to have unlimited wealth. No one actually knew what the numbers were, but there was a sense that the tap would never run dry. Uh, in 2003, Sufism Reoriented was granted nonprofit status as a religious organization. So there, uh, they listed over $16 million in funds as of their last tax filing as a for-profit entity. And that was back in, like, that was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So who knows now? Um, a bunch of people freaked out. Everybody was, like, upset. Everyone was pointing fingers and yelling. Another woman showed up at like some meeting and was like, I will keep my comment to the trees who could not speak for themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like somebody else was like, I'm grateful these people are here. Uh, and so basically it was like a line was drawn in the sand and everybody was expected to have an opinion. And that opinion had to be one way or the other. Um. You know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. They built the thing. They got it built. Yep. Like, yeah, it's it there. Exists. Yeah. Um, and it's enormous. And it's going to be around way longer than anyone who gives a shit about it. Mm-hmm. Like, at some point, oh God, you know what? At some point, like, I can just imagine 700 years henceforth when maybe things are, like, hospitable or not. Yes. And, like, just people who have, like come to live in this structure because it's the only thing that can survive it. yes yeah <laughs> like, everything else is destroyed um yeah super weird and they have like their whole religion itself is way less interesting than because it's incoherent yeah like yeah. it doesn't doesn't mean anything um it's like incoherent it's not self it's not internally consistent like they just kind of cherry pick words without meaning from other religions and like tape them to the wall it, it's very of the flavor of um sort of california new age religion vibe like it it's just cherry picking the things that like it has enough of the vestiges of some religion that Mm -hmm. people are familiar with so they can hold on to it but then it's just all the things that they think of as being good and right and oftentimes like i think that's a perfectly understandable like progression Mm -hmm. but it's a little naive like it's sort of like you know they're like well love and fiscal responsibility and these things and it's like right but 
all of those things are too abstract to have real practical meaning. Like what does, what does it mean to love your neighbor? Yeah. Like what does that really mean for the people involved in that situation? Or what does fiscal responsibility actually mean? Does that mean that like you let people starve because you wouldn't possibly let this thing that you've already committed money to be built Yeah. Like, or whatever, you know, what does that mean? Like, um, or this idea of like, you know, oh, well it's, you know, we didn't borrow money or something like that. And it's like, well, right yeah. but you did you just took the money right like you got the money yeah and then you built this thing like right. we, like you know what form of capitalism are you actually practicing here because borrowing money isn't the, the necessarily debt isn't necessarily the negative like moral ground right <laughs> uh, <laughs> you yes. know what i mean like it just sort of it sounds morally right but yeah it's not Right. It's not any of those things. It's literally just a function of like a, an economic mechanism mm -hmm. and where you land in that. Like yeah, it's there's not, no you know, moral morality right. attached to it. Exactly. Or yeah. there shouldn't be. Yeah. There doesn't have to be. Right. Exactly. So anyway, yeah. it's just kind of, I, I, I find a lot of these things like, you know, they don't, they feel very unexamined and like very flowery on the face of it. Right. It's like, but it's cake. Yes, we do like cake. We agree. Yeah. That rat poison that you've laced across the top of it is maybe something we should be talking more about <laughs> than the fact that you've made a pretty cake. Yes. So the the back to the really interesting part, the mm -hmm. federal statute called RLUIPA, the Religious yes. Land Use and Institutionalized Persons Act. Mm -hmm. Because of this, because Orrin Hatch and Ted Kennedy were being fucking gross Catholic and Mormony and like mm -hmm. had their own devious ends in mind because like uh, they were trying to, they were trying to influence United States like legislation to favor Catholics and Mormons in their land grabs. Right, right. Um, and so because of that, mm -hmm. an unintended consequence is this like rinky-dink little sort of like non-existent religion called Sufism reoriented in Walnut Grove was allowed to build the sanctuary without having to rezone their residential land. Right, and that's that's kind of a big part of i think um one of the problems like it the fact that you know other people got all all sort of anti um muslim and and ugly is to be expected and hatred coming on on all sides of course mm -hmm. but there is that like like anytime there's like oh but you went through a loophole and it's like that's fine but also like that regulation of being like hey this is residential space mm -hmm. is there's a reason for that. It's like right. that Chesterton fence thing, right? Yes. Like it's like, but why is this here? Oh, because we're actually trying to preserve these spaces for people to live. And yeah. now you've built this massive space where very few people live. I mean, if you think of this temple in terms of like the people that live there, mm -hmm. it's opulently excessive in its resource and space usage. Yes. A hundred percent. And like the kitchens in that temple yes. are modeled after the ki commercial kitchens at the cheesecake factory. Yes. Right. Which is like hilarious and so uncreative and dumb. Yes. But yeah, like it's the, the kitchens can cook for like 600 people at a go. Yes. Yeah. And they sit there unused most of the time because right. nobody and actually lives there. Right. It's like, are you actually like feeding the community in a way that's like meaningful to these people's lives and advancing it? Or are you throwing mm -hmm. like a Sunday dinner occasionally? And and uh, not that a social event isn't of value to mm -hmm. people. It's just kind of like, that's not the high lofty, like moral ground you were potentially right. advertising. Right. 
also like what kind of like financial gatekeeping are you working on this like are you going downtown and feeding all the homeless in san francisco i mean i'm pretty sure that's not happening because i've been to san francisco yes that's not i did not see the cheesecake factory handing out food well nor did i see like some like meaningful advance in like solving a like a problem of society like san francisco not the only city that has homeless people or anywhere in the world like you know san diego we have plenty of homeless people and all of these things are problems and everybody has their own individual issue yeah of why they're homeless but again like you read about things like this where they're like oh we're doing community outreach stuff and i'm like right but there's like centuries of this issue yeah and you're just doubling down on like well we'll religion them to death yeah (laughs) and then they'll either be dead and happy or they'll be alive and miserable i don't know you know i don't know how it works but um Um, anyway i have a lot of issues with like the way homeless people get treated because it's like you get these religions where they're like oh we're doing all this great stuff right and when you actually look at it it's like super exclusive well you can have access to this if you promise only if if and only if you promise to completely denounce your nature Mm -hmm. of how you got here in the first place and completely dismantle who you are and find a way to fit into this really Mm -hmm. fucking uncomfortable Narrow. narrow uncomfortable situation for yourself then we'll allow you to live over here where right. it's slightly better. And of course people continue to choose homelessness. Yeah. Like people don't want to like be in that state. No. But the fact that like, you know, they have to stay sober be in like order to have like shelter. Yeah. It's just like, <sighs> no, that's not helping anybody. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. Yeah. Uh, there's this Fader article also says mm-hmm. um, another issue, one never explicitly articulated in the board meetings, never really brought up at all, uh, was how much influence on the final decision to allow for the construction of this crazy yeah. building. Uh, how much influence on that final decision did the specific demographics of Sufism reoriented have? For example, in New Jersey, around the same time, a mosque was proposed for an empty warehouse on the outskirts of town, and it was repeatedly flatly rejected by the local zoning board. So the question is, is it easier to find support for religious freedom in America when you're white and rich? I think, I think we know the answer. I think the answer is, yeah. <laughs> for supporters of the sanctuary, it was a simple boon for progress. The NIMBYists, I like NIMBY, mm-hmm. like not in my backyard is the acronym for NIMBY. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. So the the they built the thing and they have bought up additional parcels of land when they can afford to. So they're trying to build an apartment building and a retail space Mm -hmm. like this is interesting to me because all these religions like again catholics um mormons they buy up real estate scientologists yeah they launder money through real estate Mm -hmm. massive amounts of money laundered through real estate um and then before you know it you're gonna be like paying your landlord who's scientology right what the fuck yeah um the the interesting thing too is they like made this argument about this temple that like well the temple is residential right it's just really big right and i'm just arguing and that's like if it if that truly is the case like it's a opulent way to like create living space for people like you look at the temple and it's like so little of that space is livable yeah you can be in that space for certain reasons, like, you know, the congregation area where it's like you can all sit around and listen to somebody stand in the center of this right. inward facing circle and tell you about how great you are for being here. Yeah. 
but you can't live there. No, you can't. And in fact, the design elements of the space, like if you had to spend an extended period of time yeah. there, you would go nuts. Right. Because it's all white. Yeah. There's, it's all like heavily geometric, like very hard geometry, right angles, mm-hmm. straight lines, like static curves. I mean, like all this stuff that is just not comfortable to be in. Uh, the And just so much money. Like everything is this version of perfect. Like everything is just so. Mm-hmm. With the gold and the see-through chairs. And the main prayer hall is a grand circular space, all white with gold trimmings. The center emblem of the marble floor depicts symbols of major world religions and the phrase, mastery in servitude. Mm -hmm. This is not going to go well over the course of 700 years. This is is why I'd like to live a long time. Just to (laughs) see the end of things like Uh that. Or not... Not end. I don't mean in the sense of like, oh, it will end, but like see see some some termination point where something happens that's like, oh, well, you guys have reached your seven hundred year. Like, what's happening now? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like I guess in now some what? ways it's kind of. I try to appreciate being alive in a time when people are like, well, Jesus should be here any minute now. Yeah, it's like, well, any minute. Keep looking I mean, at, at this, my watch, right? I mean, at this point, come and gone, right? Like, and no one would have noticed. Yeah. The idea that, yeah, anyway, that anyone would even recognize this, like, you know, dark skinned, basically black, you know, very dark skinned man Mm -hmm. wandering around preaching kindness to people. Right. Just like, you know, he's literally the homeless man down the street. Like, yeah. Anyway. Uh, When I look at these domes, um, what they remind me of is kind of like, like an industrial park where there's like reservoirs for fuel Mm -hmm. or like liquid hydrogen or something that are like half buried underground. Yeah. It doesn't even look, I mean, if if you're worried about the style of the neighborhood, like it's behind a big white walled off fence. It looks like every other housing thing I've seen in Northern California ever with the exception of like white domes instead of Mm -hmm. shingled roofs. Right. It's pretty unobtrusive. Like, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. So every time you eat at the Cheesecake Factory, just know that your money's going to a cult. Right, right. That's the moral of this. The moral of this. Right. What's that? Not moral. Um, I just want you to be informed. I want you to have informed consent when you eat at the Cheesecake Factory. Mm-hmm. First of all, you're eating like food that's really disrespectful to food. But also, secondly, that money that you're paying is going to bankroll a cult in Northern California. Yeah. So, you know, just heads up. And not even a creative cult, a cult that just has to steal all their shit from other people. Yeah. Yeah. So now you know. Do we have uh, any colors of the day we want to share with people? Uh, Sure. Let me have a little peek here. Hold on. I feel like I had. um, Yes. Yep. Are they culty colors? Uh, Yes. So we're going to start with the color T. And the hexadecimal value for T is uh, pound sign delta zero foxtrot zero Charlie zero. So that's D zero F zero C zero. Ooh, that's nice. Yeah. So we've got T. And so how would you describe this color? I think of this as a pistachio ice cream. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's not quite mint green. 
Yeah, it's not. It's um, a little too yellowy to be minty. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so it's a very springy green, very pistachio-y. Like if you have spumoni, it's a yeah. this is a spumoni color. Yeah, and then um, and then the other color is cornflower, and this hexadecimal value is uh, so pound sign six six nine three foxtrot five. Uh, so again, if you put these values directly in Google with the pound sign before them, so for mm-hmm. the, those of you who think in these terms, hashtag, but pound sign six, six, nine, three F five, if you put that into Google, it will show you the color. Um, and so that's the cornflower, which is a sort of blue. I always feel like it has like, it's like almost lavender, but not like it not even almost i mean like it's far away but it would in the wrong light you'd be like is that lavender mm. no that's cornflower um do you know what i mean yes like, yeah. yeah i have a problem uh well i mean it's not really a problem but i've noticed that like it, however my eyes interpret that like sort of uh in between area between purple and blue yes that i've had a lot of discussions or disagreements with people about whether a particular color sample is a blue or a purple and so i think that's oh, what yeah, you're getting yeah. at yeah yeah and this is where i think um it's hard to know like i i i have sort of classic like mild male color blindness or or whatever the oh, genetic what's that? i i forget let's see so oh. mo- uh let's see so color blindness Uh, You'll have to repeat the hexadecimal for me. Yes. Uh, Okay, so which one? The second one, not the T-green. Okay, so we will go back to... Shoot, where did that go? Um, Here we go. So for cornflower, it's uh, pound sign 6693F5. Yay. I have a weird thing in my brain where Fs and 5s are the same thing and are interchangeable to my... Oh, neural yes. wiring, mm-hmm. and I will oftentimes write a number five when I mean to write an F, or vice versa. Yeah. So, um, here's the thing on color blindness, which is that uh, color vision deficiency affects approximately like one in twelve men oh. and one in two hundred women. So it's oh. like skews more male typically. Interesting. Um, and the causes there are different causes. Um, for most people, it's genetic. Uh. And um, and so I can't remember what kind of color blindness I have, but like I don't see. Um, I see like I think I see red and green like slightly less strongly than other people. I think that's right. Hmm. Um, uh, yeah. So like red green color blindness. Yeah. Um, But I, I mean, I see the colors. It's just like I have difficulty distinguishing them in certain, like if they're not particularly strong. Sure. Um, yeah. Anyway. Um, and that's where like, you know, where I get frustrated with a lot of things where they're like, like it's just like one color. Yeah. And then they're like, like someone's like, well, what color is this? And I'm like, by itself, our brains naturally move that to a gray value. Like for it, a lot yes. of people, you're not getting like... Your eyes are seeing the color, but your brain is not interpreting it particularly 
strongly because there's nothing in contrast, yes. which is what your brain is like, oh, where's the contrast? Right. So if you give me two colors, I can tell you usually always see the difference between them, even when they're pretty subtle. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, uh, yeah. So those are the colors. We've got tea, uh, which is a sort of very, very pale light green. Yeah, tea green. Tea green and uh, cornflower, which is sort of um, not... What was the values for that? It was six six. Cornflower is six six nine three. Foxtrot five. five. Right. Yeah, and that's a very um, classic. So, classic, yeah. So its RGB value for cornflower is one o two one four seven two four five. So very bright, very bright um, values of blue. And what are the RGB values for tea green? Uh, for tea green, and what are the um, what's the what's the hex value for the tea green again? Um, it's D. Yep. Zero. Yep. F zero. Yep. C zero. Great. Uh, so the RGB values for tea green are two hundred eight, two forty, and one ninety two. And so what I was saying about the um. Cornflower. The cornflower, which now where did it go? Shoot. It disappeared into the ether. I have way too many tabs open. I'm sure no one can relate to that. Mm -mm. Um, What's a tab? Right. Uh, you know. Oh my tab. God. Can you imagine if your life was such that you didn't know what a tab on a computer screen was in a window? Oh dear. <sighs> I, I That'd be kind of great in some way. I, I, that's what I'm thinking. It's like, oh man, like just don't even have to worry about any of that yeah. bullshit. Um, okay, so what I was getting at when you when you think of in terms of colors in RGB, this yes. is where it helps me. Like sometimes I think about like how much red, how much green, how much blue, right? right. So if we're looking at um, cornflower, it has a uh, so RGB values are usually zero to two fifty five, mm -hmm. um, and so. The red value is 102 for cornflower. Mm -hmm. The green value is 147. And then the blue value is 245. So you can imagine, yep, of course, there's lots of blue. It's a blue color. But then because there's lots of red and green and they're pretty equal, mm -hmm. it kind of brings up the overall, um, what do we call that? The level, the bright, like how white it is versus like how um, the tone, I think that's, there. there's a color wheel thing. Um, we talked about this before. So color. Yes. I just don't remember. Uh, hold on just a second. Um, I'm going to find it just now. Um, color systems. Typically. that it maybe mm. anyway that idea of like um there's like there's there's the saturation yes so like how how intense intense it is then there's the value which i think is how bright, bright. it is um yeah do you remember we we had that yes i do but i just can't remember it and i'm not sure how to look it up yeah me too um yeah. It's but yeah, and it's also depending on whether you're talking about light, like for pixels, yep. or whether you're talking about like pigments, like mixing. So like if you're talking about paint, for example, and you increase the amount of white, you're increasing the opacity and you're also making it pastel. Right. Um, but like if we're talking about pixels, I'm not 
sure because then we're talking about light waves and not pigments. Right, right. And that's the part where I don't actually know because I'm less familiar with that than I am with here paint. here here <laughs> it is. Okay. So the the SS the HSV color cylinder color model. So um the HSV cylinder has hue, saturation and value. So if you're looking at the top of a circle, if you're looking down the center of a pie, um, as you move from the center of the pie towards the edge of any edge, that's the saturation. So in the center, you have no color saturation, so you're basically white. Mm -hmm. um, and as you move further out, you become more of whatever color it is. So if you move in the direction of blue, it becomes more and more saturated blue. Uh -huh. As you move around the outside of the pie yeah. or the circle, that is the hue. So that's like, the you know, the name of the color, the itself. name of the color itself Red, is changing, yellow. right? Like you shift more, like as you kind of go counterclockwise from blue, you start to go to like indigo and violet and eventually red and then orange and yeah, the color of the rainbow. Right. And so then as you go up and down out of the page, that is the value. So at the bottom of the cylinder is black and at the top of the cylinder is white, right? So it's sort of like you can move in this three-dimensional, um, what's that called? Radian coordinate system, right? Yeah. So anyway, um, what I was saying about the idea of corn flour and the red, green, blue values is like if you look at like, okay, so how much blue how much of the value of blue do I get? Well, quite a lot. So it's quite saturated in blue. But as you bring yes. up the other values, it starts to move it, shift it away from that corner of the blue yes. towards some other color, but also move it up the the value column, making it lighter. Yes. So that's why I just, I think of, I try to think of in terms of like when I hear red, green, blue values, it's like how I can kind of orient myself and think about like, oh, mm -hmm. what, what components are present in this color and mm -hmm. why I might see it one particular way or another, or yeah. in the case of me, who's like a little colorblind, like how other people perceive it, even if I'm not fully seeing Oh that. yes. The numbers give you another way of yeah, like if, that. Right. Cause I look at the RGB values for corn flour where it's like, 245 mm -hmm. for blue is almost 100% saturated with blue. Yeah. And then um, quite a bit of green, 147, and quite a bit of red at 102. And I'm like, okay, so they're going to perceive this as like a lighter valued color. Mm -hmm. And they're going to see, people are going to see some green and red values in there a little bit, yes. which might make it feel a little more purpley, depending. Yes. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, that's why I say like cornflower maybe for some people might appear a little. It's a little purpley for little me. Little purpley. Yes, yeah. it's a. It's really on the edge for me of what I would consider blue. Yes, right. Like, ugh, okay, I guess on a technicality, I'll allow it to be a blue. Yes, yeah. But I really feel like it's more of a lilac. Right, right. Like yeah. It's dangerously close to. Dangerously purple close to yes. <laughs> Anyway, that's uh like if purple had robbed a bank <laughs> yes. and it was dressed up as cornflower blue, I'd be uh, like real sus. All right. <laughs> are you sure you are not someone who fits the description of a color that just robbed a bank? Uh-huh. <sighs> I can see that. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's all we got. Okay. Um so thanks for listening and once again, uh send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Um, you can email Dana, D-A-N-A, -A, at fcbm.io or go to our website, fcbm.io, and find our contact information directly. Um, and yeah, we don't we do not do a lot of like advertising or marketing-oriented stuff, so generally we're not trying to collect your data when you're emailing us. And if you do email us, um, 
we're not going to like hold you again. Like that's a private conversation unless you say otherwise, like we're not going to start talking about your, who you are and what you said on the podcast. So um, a, l- a listener who we all want you to know, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. who specifically asked that we not tell you the following, right? Sam Davis, who lives in this town said this thing <laughs> right now, this is their address. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, that's not, that's not the point of any of this anyway. Um, yeah, we'd love to hear from you, your thoughts, yeah. ideas, and, uh, awesome. Okay. Well, thanks everybody.